you turn now uh, in your copy of the scriptures to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, just a few pages to the right of where we just read in Acts. We're in a study of this letter together on Sunday mornings, this great treasure house of God's grace, which Paul unfolds for us as we hear not only of what is true of us in Christ, but also how that impacts us, how we are to live our lives as his people. So we're going to read chapter 1, beginning in verse 15. William Randolph Hearst, the well-known and extremely wealthy newspaper publisher, was a lover and prodigious collector of fine art, including some of the most famous and valuable paintings and sculptures and art pieces anywhere in the world. And he amassed such a large collection that he had to have a warehouse in which to store many of the works that he purchased. And the story is told that he had, he had set his sights on a particular painting that he wanted and and he sent uh, his dealers, he got his agents and sent them out to uh, search for this piece to add to his collection. And after a lengthy investigation, one of, the, one of the dealers came back and they reported to him that they had finally tracked down the location of this piece. And furthermore, that, that Hearst would be glad to know that he would not have to pay anything for it. Why? Because he already owned it. It had been tracked down among the many pieces of his collection and found in a warehouse with others where it had never been unpacked from its crate. What he didn't know was that he was searching for something that he already possessed. And as we've seen, as we've started Paul's letter to the Ephesians in our study, he starts with one long sentence of praise to God, and he's extolling the riches of God's grace, the, the treasure house of his blessings, the spiritual wealth which he has lavished upon his church, the saints who are in Christ Jesus. And he notes the inexhaustible number of God's blessings that we have. So Paul notes this, this inexhaustible amount of God's blessings that we have. He says, we have received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he, he begins to catalog a number of those that are what we might call priceless in their value and significance. Those that were paid for by the very blood of his son, Jesus, and yet have been freely given to us in Christ as a gift of God's grace out of the abundance of his mercy and love. And, and Paul tells us, what those are. He says, he, he chose you as his own. He determined to adopt you as his, as his child with all the rights and privileges of sons. He has redeemed you from your sin and death through his own death for sin. In Christ, our sins are forgiven. He has made known his purposes and his plans, his will to us. And we have an eternal inheritance, Paul says. The possession of which is sealed and guaranteed to us. By the Holy Spirit. And Paul does not want us to be like William Randolph Hearst. He doesn't want that to happen. He wants us to be sure that we not just know about these great blessings, but that we, that we know and that we believe and that we live in the reality that in Christ we possess 
these great blessings. And, we, and to, he wants us to experience and to embrace and enjoy more and more the results of that reality in our lives and witness together as God's people in his church. And so before moving on to the, the detail of those realities and, and, and beginning to unpack some of the results of God's grace in this letter, Paul once again continues in worship and in prayer for his readers. And he prays for the believers in Ephesus, he prays for God to give them insight, to give them knowledge into those realities, those things that, that they need to know that we need to know are true of us in Christ Jesus. So follow along with me as I read from Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, as Paul shares his prayer. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, He may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you. What are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe According to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray together. Father God, your word is the revelation and the wisdom and the counsel that comes from you. In your gospel, we see your glory reflected in the face of your son, Jesus who came to reveal your nature, to redeem your people, and even now is ruling and reigning over all things for your glory. Father, we need your spirit to come and open the eyes of our hearts that we might truly see and know you and know the great blessings and benefits that come to us who are in Christ by faith. And your work in and through us as your church. And so Lord, we pray now that you would do that. Spirit, come and illumine the word. Make it unto us the power of salvation and sanctification that we might be changed that we might reflect and live out the hope and the wealth and the power that you have for us in Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to do this morning is just look at Paul's prayer for the, 
the believers in Ephesus to, to see not only what we need to know, but also how we can and should be praying for one another, for ourselves, and, and for one another here at Ambassador and for God's people as a whole. Paul begins by giving thanks to God. Giving thanks to God. Why? Because of two things he's heard about those to whom he is writing, the, the church in Ephesus. He has heard of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and their love for all the saints. Now remember, Paul is writing to, to a church that's living in difficult times. All the believers in that day were living in, in difficult times. They were facing struggles from both within and without there were false teachers who were seeking to lead them astray. There was division within the church over certain matters that, that just would come up. There were trials and persecutions from those outside. And yet, when Paul gets a report of how things are, are going here in Ephesus, the first thing he does is he gives thanks. He gives thanks for their faith in Jesus Christ. And he gives thanks for their love, not just for for one another there, but for all the saints. The evidence of God's rich blessings and His redeeming and sanctifying work in our lives hinges on, on these two basic graces. Trusting Christ and love, loving God's people. And Paul gives thanks because these things are on display. They are, they are being seen and demonstrated in the life of the believers in Ephesus. Faith is, is believing. It is, it is trusting in who God is and what he's done on our behalf and what he has revealed to us about himself and, and in himself in Jesus Christ. And how does someone hear of our faith? Faith itself is not something that, that you can see, so to speak. It's something that we, that we have. It's a, it's a deep conviction there. So in order for others to know and to, and to hear about it, it must be something that we share, something that we, we demonstrate and live out, something that we, we share with others. In the midst of a, a, a crisis or a trial, you might hear someone say of a person, they have a strong faith in the Lord or in Christ. Well, how do you know? Well, by the way they... They handle that situation by the, the, the way they speak of God and His work in the midst of that. Is there, a, is there a confidence that God is in control? Are they looking to and, and clinging to the truths of God and His word and the promises that He's given in Christ in the midst of discouragement or disappointment? Is there a, is there a continued and, and forthright hope and trust in God's goodness and provision? Faith is believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth the lordship of Jesus Christ. And we can encourage others and we can be encouraged by others as we acknowledge and give thanks for that faith at work in our hearts and in our lives. We are a people of faith. Our faith is not just individual. It's not just something that we, we hold to ourselves and we don't, we don't want to talk about or share with others. It's something that's seen as it's, as it's lived out and as it's expressed in our lives together as God's people. And one of the primary ways that work of faith is visibly seen is, is in our love for one another. Paul says, I've heard of your love for all the saints, not just some of the saints, not just the saints we like or the saints that like us. Not just those that we agree with or get along with. Paul says love for all those 
who share that faith in Christ. The Apostle John reminds us that we know that we know God and believe in God if we are loving our brothers as God has loved us. If that love that we have received from God, that God pours into our hearts through His Spirit in Christ, if that love is overflowing to others around us. They're really, these really are two litmus tests of Christianity. Are you trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ? And are you thanksgiving for God's grace at work? It's so easy for us to see the warts, to see the, the faults in his church, to be critical of others. We tend to look at all the things around us that are wrong and, and, and are not all the ways that we're not what we should be. But as we consider the work of God's grace in the life of his church, we can begin by giving thanks. Giving thanks for, for the faith that he has given us in Christ, for a vibrant faith and a visible love that he calls us to as his people. And as God's people, we are exercising that faith and loving all those who share that faith with us, such that the results in their lives and in the lives of others will be thanksgiving and praise to God. When people hear about you, when people hear about us here at Ambassador, are they hearing about our faith in Jesus Christ and our love for one another and for all the saints. And as we pray for one another. Let us pray and, and give thanks to God for that gift of faith. And his, his overflowing love in the body. And we can pray that he would strengthen that faith. And, and, and give us greater practical and visible ways to love all who are his. And what an encouragement it is when you, when you tell others how you see God's work of faith in their life. And how they're loving others. What an encouragement it is to us when we hear that from others. I've had people come and say in a particular situation, thank you for encouraging me in faith. Or thank you for showing love. And I look back and I think, I, I, I'm not sure exactly how I did that. But, but that, that thanksgiving is encouragement to us. And certainly it is praise to our God. But let us begin with thanksgiving and giving thanks to God for his work of faith and love in and through his people. But Paul not only gives thanks for the evidence of God's grace in their lives through their faith and love, but he goes on to pray for them to have all they need to live lives more and more in line with that faith and, and overflowing in that love and all the blessings of his grace. He prays that the, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give you a spirit of wisdom that are the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Paul very simply says that we as God's people, prays that we as God's people would know God. Brothers and sisters, that's our greatest need. Our greatest need is not a new job. It's not, it's not obedient children or a, a better marriage. It's not big, a bigger bank account or a healthier body or a, a growing church. Though God is concerned with all of those things. And those are all good things to pray for. But our greatest need is to know God. 
Well, you might say, well, well Warren, if we have faith in him, then we, we do know God. And that's true. But Paul is praying here that 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 knowledge of God, that that unfolding revelation of of who he is and what he does would would continue to grow in us. That it would be a a thriving and there would be thriving and blossoming, blossoming in relationship as we as we better understand and and experience what it means to know him day in and day out. Paul is praying that God would send his spirit and, and in his son would increase our love for in our faith in God as we have greater insight into who he is and what he's done and what he reveals through his son Jesus. That is what we need to know and how we should be praying for ourselves and for one another. And Paul acknowledges it's God who reveals himself. He is the one who grants this wisdom and this understanding to us. He can't, we can't discover it on our own. As we pray and as we read his word, as we, as we hear it preached and, and taught, as we seek to apply his truth and his grace to every aspect of our lives, Paul prays that, that God would give us his spirit of wisdom and revelation to, to know him. And that we would not just see things as we, as we read with our physical eyes and hear with our ears and comprehend with our minds. But, but he says, may the eyes of your heart be opened. Paul says, our, down to the very core of our being, we need to know and understand and believe and trust and love and grow in relationship to God. Why? Not so that we would become biblical great biblical scholars or that we could win any theological argument or that we can show off our, our great knowledge. But they would, we, would, we would know God deep down. Paul says that God would open a window to the very depths of our soul to be able to perceive the truth and to trust and love and embrace and desire and delight in God at the very core of our being. That word to, for knowledge is one of experiential, relational, intimate knowledge that, that would penetrate the depths of our hearts such that we believe and live in light of what we know and who we know. How does the Spirit do that? Paul says he, he enlightens our heart. That word enlighten almost always speaks of the, the light of God's truth, of his glory being, being revealed, being seen and understood. And the Spirit comes and opens our eyes of faith to see the light of God's glory and truth in the face, in the person of his son, Jesus. And as Jesus said, we know God the Father by knowing and believing in God the Son. And we know God the Son through the illuminating work of God the Spirit revealing Him to us in the gospel and in God's Word. And what does Paul pray that we would know? Well, he prays three things that he wants us to know. First, he prays that we would know the hope to which God has called you. That you would know the hope to which God has called you. Second, the riches of His glorious inheritance for you. And thirdly, the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you. First, Paul asked God to give us a, a knowledge of the hope to which he has called us. And that, that hope is not just a wishful thinking. 
It's a confident expectation of things that are sure and certain. And what is that hope? Well, the Bible speaks of it in all, all kinds of different ways. It is the assurance that God is, is faithful to fulfill His promise, promises. It is the confidence that indeed God has called us and He has chosen us and redeemed us through His death. It is the, it is the certainty that He has poured out His love and grace and mercy and forgiveness on us in Christ and He has adopted us as His own. It is the hope of, of belonging to Christ, of fellowship and peace with God, of living in community with other believers. It is the hope of being set free from sin's power and growing in holiness. It is the hope of a, a changed and transformed life that God has called us to and equips us for, not because of anything that we've done or not done. It's the hope that is found in, even in the suffering that we endure and knowing that that is not outside of, but in, indeed is a part of God's good and sovereign purposes and His, His sanctifying work and will in our lives. It's the assurance that, that He who began a good work in us is faithful to complete it and to bring us home to be with Him. It is the hope that our sin is paid for. And thus, even when we fail again and again and again, Christ's grace is sufficient again and again and again. And it's to such a great and gracious hope that God has called us in Christ Jesus. And unfortunately, it's a hope that is too often overlooked and easily forgotten. Unless... God continues and we, and we pray and God continues to open the eyes of our heart to see it and receive it and believe it anew each day. And so we pray for ourselves and we pray for one another to, to know the hope to which he has called. Do you know that hope? Has he called you to that hope? Let's pray for one another that we would know how glorious that hope is. And not only that we have been called to a confident hope, but Paul prays we would know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. We recently did some estate planning ourselves and, and, and part of that process, any of you who, who know that, is, is sitting down and kind of taking an inventory of all the things you have. <laughs> Everything that's, that's, uh, that's part of your possessions. What makes up, they say, your net worth. Your net worth in the world's eyes. And Paul wants us to do a, a spiritual inventory. He wants us to know all that God has given and promises to give in Christ Jesus. To see the riches of his blessings to us in the fellowship that we have with him and with one another as his people. And to see that our net worth is greater than we could ever imagine. More glorious than we could ever hope. As God's adopted children, we are heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. And if you could take an inventory of all that God is and has for you in Christ Jesus, brothers and sisters, you, you wouldn't have enough pages to fill it up. You could never exhaust it. 
And God has revealed that to us in his word. And that's why we, we need daily more and more to have our eyes open through the, the scriptures to the glorious inheritance that we have in him. And this inheritance is something that is ours now. It is guaranteed by his spirit as he says earlier. Paul prays that we would know it now, that we would enjoy the blessings and the benefits such that we would, we would stop searching in vain through the, the empty warehouses of this world for that which is worthless and will not satisfy. If we know the riches of God's inheritance, we won't be so discontent with the things in this world. We won't be so complaining of what we don't have or controlled by what we do have. I remember when our kids were young and, and starting to learn this, this understanding of inheritance and, and, and things left. They would say things like, Dad, when you die, can I have your baseball glove? Can, uh, can, can we have the car? <laughs> this, this kind of mindset, if I can just get a, a little bit of that stuff. But God says to us as his children in Christ... He says, it's all yours. It's all yours. There is no dividing it up. God is uniting all things together in Christ and putting all things under his feet. And he says, we are co-heirs of it all in Christ Jesus. We need to pray that God would give us a continued revelation and understanding of that great inheritance. Paul will unpack more of what that is as we go through this letter. And lastly, and perhaps most amazingly, Paul prays that we would, we would know the immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. Notice the progression here. We have been, we have been called to a great hope in Christ in eternity past. We have a, a wealthy inheritance guaranteed for eternity to come, and we have the immeasurable power of God at work for us and in us even now, today. Paul wants us to realize the greatness of that power, to know that. You know, you don't realize the great power in a, in a small socket on your wall until you have an encounter with it. I remember when I was a teenager, I was some, I met, some of you may have told this story, but I was, I was helping a friend sand a boat and I had a big metal belt sander and we were going around the boat and, and sanding it and, and of course it was summer and we were in shorts and, and barefooted and I walked around and I, as I was walking around sanding, I stepped into a, a, a puddle that was right next to the boat and immediately I was literally lifted off my feet and slammed to the ground in that puddle and sat there as, as 120 volts or what felt like maybe 1,000 volts was, was surging through my body until one of the friends came over and unplugged the sander. Paul is praying that we would know and we would experience the great power of God in that way. That we would not just know that he is, he is a powerful and, and sovereign being. But that we would be connected to, this, to that power through our union with Christ. And we would experience it by his spirit pulsing in us and flowing through us. 
And he says it is an immeasurably great power. There, there is, is no way to, to categorize it in amps or volts or, or horses. There are no power outages with God. No Category 5 hurricane, no volcanic eruption, no nuclear reaction, no cosmic phenomenon can capture the full power of God, Paul says, towards us. How great is it? Paul tells us, he says, it's the same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. It is a life-giving power. Able to conquer and overcome the grave. And Jesus' resurrection is the supreme demonstration of God's power over death. And it is the first fruits of God's power, resurrection power, for those whom he calls to himself. It's that same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And it is a universal power over all authorities and kingdoms and rule in heaven and on earth as is seen in Jesus ascending to the throne at God's right hand, where he reigns and is head over all things. It's a power that's conquered every force at work against God and his people. Jesus came and in his death and resurrection, he made a spectacle of our enemy, Satan. He laughs at the rulers and the nations that stand in opposition to him. He has subdued evil and, and it's, its bondage, the bondage of sin for us. And it is this power, Paul says, that is at work in and for us as those who have been resurrected to new life and who are seated with Christ in the heavenlies. God's power towards us is centered in the risen and reigning authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord, whom God has placed over and above all authority and rule and power and dominion, head over all things. Brothers and sisters, God's power and His glory and His authority are displayed and, and placed in the hands of one person. And one day, we're told, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And that immeasurably great power is exercised. Paul tells us here on behalf of his people. The church. God gave him as head over all things. To the church. Or for the church. That's, a, that's an amazing statement. God's purpose in raising Jesus from the dead. Was to redeem a people for himself. His own possession. A treasure for his own possession. And his appointing Christ as head over all things is to demonstrate his glory, to display his power through his union with that people. We as God's children, we as the church of Jesus Christ are intimately connected with the source of all power over all things. And Paul uses the, the metaphor here of the, the head and the body. Just as the, as the body cannot live without a head, we cannot live apart from the great power of God at work in us. And, and God in Christ, our head, works that power in us and through us. And as he does so, he is, he is magnifying his glory. He is showing his greatness. He is carrying out his purposes and his will in Christ. 
That connection is seen in this last description of the church as Christ's body. The fullness of him who fills all things. I wish I could tell you I could explain exactly what that means. <laughs> there have been pages of ink spilt on seeking to, to understand and grasp how amazing that statement is and, and what it means. But I think it's best understood in the plainest sense of the language. God is uniting all things together in Christ. He is filling the world with his glory and his knowledge till, till it covers the earth like the waters cover the seas. And that glory and the reign of Christ and the manifold wisdom of God is being displayed. It is being manifested. It is being carried forth through his body, <laughs> through the church, through his people. The church is the, is the visible manifestation, the outworking of God's resurrection and reigning power in Jesus. And, and think about that. God has chosen to reveal himself, not just to the, to the world, but to all the principalities and powers through his church. Through you and me, whom he has redeemed and adopted, forgiven. And we'll look more closely at that in chapter 3, where Paul speaks of this wisdom and power being made known through the church being filled to the fullness of God in Christ. Oh, how unsearchable are the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And yet, God is pleased to reveal that to us more and more, those riches and that knowledge as we grow to know Him and experience the hope and the inheritance and the power that He has at work in us through Christ Jesus. Where are you putting your hope? Where are you banking your inheritance, finding your net worth? Where do you find power to continue on in the trials and the struggles of this life? Where are you looking for that thing that already is your possession in Christ Jesus? Do you know the hope, the wealth, the power that are God's gift of, of grace in Christ and that belong to all who believe? Do you know his love? The evidence that you do is seen in your faith in Jesus Christ. In your love for God and for one another in the body of Christ as we live out that journey together. So I want us just to encourage us to pray like Paul for ourselves, for one another, for God's church here at Ambassador, for God's church universal around the world. Let us give thanks to God as we see and hear that, that our faith in Christ proclaimed and lived out, as we see God's love manifested in our love one another around the world. Let us humbly ask God to strengthen our faith and grow our love so that others might see and hear and give glory to God and know his hope 
and his wealth and his power. Let us pray for what we need more than anything else, and that is to know God and have our eyes of our heart enlightened. And when we do, and when he does, when we, when we see more and more the hope of his calling and the riches of his inheritance and the greatness of his power at work, it enables us to continue to walk and rest in him in the midst of the trials or struggles we face. We rest in his provision in times of need. We rest in his peace in times of conflict. We rest in his comfort and his healing in times of sickness, his strength and his perseverance in times of weakness. And we will be freed as his people to to be generous and to be caring and to, to love and to serve in Christ. Let us pray daily that God would give us that wisdom and understanding and knowledge of him who is over all and in all, especially in the body. His church. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we indeed confess how quick we are to forget and how dull we are to see and to hear and to remember. Father, we need again your spirit to come and in wisdom and revelation, reveal yourself to us. Lord Jesus, open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your word and that those wonderful things might reflect the riches in the treasure house of grace that you have poured out upon us in Christ. And Lord, may we not rejoice in the blessings themselves, but we, may we rejoice and may we give thanks to you as the giver of all those blessings. And may we look to you to know that, that great hope we have and to, to rest in that great inheritance that is ours. And to live through not our power, the power of the things of this world, but Father, through your power towards us, your resurrection power. And your reigning power in Christ. And Lord, may it overflow in our faith, our trust, our belief, in your promises and in your truth, in our overflowing love for one another. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.